we're going to be continuing in our sermon series entitled Membership Matters. When you came in this morning, you received a worship guide. And on that worship guide printed on the backside are some notes that you can follow along with for our message today. I would encourage you to keep that handy. There's going to be lots of blanks to fill in, as you see, as we work our way through the passages of Scripture that we're going to look at and examining uh, together this morning in our message. Before we jump into that, let me just say briefly that if you are a guest, a newcomer worshiping with us today, we want to encourage you to fill out one of our guest registration cards. These are located throughout our sanctuary in the backs of the pews. So if you would just grab that, fill that out, and then as you leave today, if you would drop that in our offering boxes in our foyer, as you leave, you'll find two offering boxes, and you can just drop this in either one of those. We'll have record of the fact that you were here. We've also made a contactless way for you to share that information with us. If you prefer, you can go on our website. Even from a mobile device, you can go to fbcchickasha.org slash connect, and it's essentially the very same information that you would give us on this card is there in digital form. You can Fill that out and submit that to us. It will be emailed directly to us that we might follow up with you and and help you connect and navigate as you're trying to uh, learn more about the ministry of First Baptist Church, find ways to get plugged in and serve, things of that nature. When I was in the ninth grade, my algebra teacher was named Mr. Young. Mr. Young was a a big guy. And and when I say a big guy, I mean a, a muscular guy. Mr. Young was... Uh, a bodybuilder type of guy, like a really super muscular guy. I'll never forget that uh, he, he was the kind of guy that uh, it didn't really matter what shirt he had on or what kind of pants he had on. Everything just fit tight around his muscles. And you would look at him and you would think, yeah, I'm not ever going to mess with Mr. Young. And on his right hand, Mr. Young had a really large ring that looked like it was a ring from some kind of a, a sports achievement or athletic achievement, something of that nature. But we, no one ever really asked uh, much about it. I suppose in some way we were all a little bit intimidated by Mr. Young and, and the size of his muscles. He was a really nice guy, a really great math teacher even. And as he would stand in front of the board in our class, he would write, and, and that ring on his right hand, as he would write on the chalkboard, just, it was conspicuous. It just caught your attention. And so one day, somebody was finally brave enough to be like the class spokesperson. Somebody spoke up and, and asked, Mr. Young, what is the ring on your hand that you always wear? And he turned around, and he put the chalk on the chalk tray, and he, as he turned back to us, he had a smile from ear to ear, like he had just been waiting for someone to ask about his ring, right? And he told us about the fact that he had played football for the University of Oklahoma and that this ring was from his time when he played football at OU. He was an offensive lineman. He didn't look like your prototypical offensive lineman at this point because he was trim and, and, and built and but he, he had been an offensive lineman at OU, and this ring was related to his time under Coach Schwitzer in the late 80s. And the same student who dared to ask Mr. Young piped up again and says, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of OU football, and I don't remember you. I don't remember you playing for OU. <laughs> Mr. Young patiently looked at him, and he said, you know, not everybody that plays is on the field, essentially. He, he was making the point that he wasn't on the first string. He was buried lower on the depth chart, so to speak. But he was proud that he had donned the crimson and cream, proud that he had represented OU on the football field and, and, and proud to continue representing them uh, just 
with, with the ring that he wore on, on that finger. You know, when I think about that, I think about the fact that every championship football team has players who are on the second string. And in fact, in the environment that we're in today with COVID and, and, and all of this, a lot of football teams may need their third and their fourth string guys, even uh, if any Denver Bronco fans in the room know exactly what I'm talking about today as uh, they're going to play a football game today with a, a wide receiver off of their practice squad starting at quarterback for them uh, today. You know, every team relies on the second string There can only be so many people, and it really doesn't matter the sport. If it's a team sport, there can only be so many people who are on the field or on the court or in in the competition. And and there are a team full of other people who stand on the sidelines, who wear the uniform, who show up to practice day in, day out, who work just as hard as all of the people who are on the field and, and really contribute to the team's success just as much as the first string do. Every championship team needs a strong second string because it's the team working together that make one another better. It's the team working together that push one another. It's the team working together day in and day out that encourage each other, that that make each other better. And and I want to think a little bit today about how the body of Christ in some ways is like a championship team in that regard. Because we understand as, as we study the scripture together that we all have a role to play in the body of Christ. Not everybody is the, the one that you see standing on a platform leading in worship or, or uh, using their gift to lead us somehow. Not everyone can be a pastor who stands and preaches or a Sunday school teacher who prepares and delivers the message, but we all have a role to play. And I don't, wanna, I don't want you to think of those roles that are outside of the limelight as being anyhow second string and as much as they're any less important. I, I don't mean to say that, but what I do mean to say is that not Not everyone who contributes meaningfully to the body of Christ is someone that you see visibly, per se. It's not all that we don't all have the the conspicuous, the upfront, the, the, the noticeable roles to play. And yet we all have a role to play in the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 which is really just in, in nearly in this, the very same context where we were talking about the Lord's Supper as we observed the Lord's Supper together this morning, we find that Paul goes on to write about the body of Christ, that we reflect as the people of God, we reflect the gospel in, in the ways that we saw in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And then he writes more about the body of Christ in chapter 12 and how we each have a role to play in the body of Christ. In fact, I want you to look with me at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. Look at what he says. Just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. And so it is with Christ. All the members of the body are one in the body of Christ. Go down to verse 27. Keep Keep going to chapter 12, verse 27. And he says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You see, every member of the church matters. By God's design, we all contribute something unique to the body of Christ, making it stronger. And the goal is for every one of us to work together in concert to make our membership the matter the most that it can for the good of the body and ultimately for the glory of Christ. We want, to be, we want to be a strong and a healthy body, a strong and a healthy church. Well, how do we do that? How do we, how do we make the most of church membership? We've been talking about church membership the last several weeks. How can you make the most of your church membership? This morning, I want us to see that you can make the most of your church membership by committing to love and serve others in the body 
of Christ. So as we, as I've mentioned already, we've been studying for several weeks. Membership matters. Two weeks ago, we, we learned that a commitment to Christ is a commitment to the church. And so by God's design, we are all intended to be a part of his body, a part of the church. And we studied four different word pictures, four different examples in the New Testament that show us this. That the New Testament talks about that we're a body, that we are a family, we are a temple, that we are a people, we're a nation united together. And so a commitment to Christ, when we come to know Christ, it's also a commitment to join his body, the church. Last week, we saw that a commitment to follow Christ is a commitment to the mission of the church as well. So not only are we united together with the church, but then now as we're a part of the church, we're to be on mission together in order to reflect and advance the gospel to the world around us. And we talked about the way that we do that. In fact, the way particular that we have said that we're going to do that as a church, as First Baptist Church, is we're going to love all people to Christ and we're going to multiply disciples. That's our mission statement. So we reflect the gospel as we studied through things like baptism, the Lord's Supper, even church discipline. And we advance the gospel as we are united together to love people to Christ, to multiply disciples for his kingdom. It's an, it's an important thing that we do as a people of God. And so we've committed to Christ. We've committed to each other in the church. And that's really what I want us to understand in greater, in, in, in greater detail today is that a commitment to Christ is not only a commitment to his mission, but a commitment to Christ is a commitment to one another inside of the church. See, last week we studied in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, that we're a part of the body and that the whole body that's joined and held together when every joint, each part is doing its thing, that, that the whole body grows so that it builds itself up in love. Each joint, every part, we're all a part of the body in some way, in some, way, in some manner. And, and when we are each working together in that body to do our part, then the entire body may be built up and may grow in love is what we, what we understood. And we're going to look at that more fully today. What it means to be a part of the, the church and what it means to love and serve one another. A commitment to the church is not just a commitment to an institution or an organization. It's a commitment to a people. It's a commitment to know and to be known. A commitment to the church is not about something that we demand from others, but something that we do for others as we love and we serve. It's not just about what we believe, but it's about what we become for each other as we actively demonstrate the love of Christ to each other in the way that we love and serve one another. One of my favorite stories, it's, it's a book and it's a movie, and it's one of my favorite books and one of my favorite movies, or I, I guess it would be more accurately a miniseries, is Stephen Ambrose's Band of Brothers. Have you ever watched the, the Bands of Brothers uh, miniseries or, or perhaps read the, the book? Then, then you know it's an incredible story. Band of Brothers is the story of Easy Company. It's a, a company that was a part of the uh, the 101st Division of Air, uh, Airborne Division that that served in the European theater in World War II. And it follows this company of men from Normandy at the time of D-Day until the time that the war was over as they were a part of 
delivering what was known as the eagle's nest, Hitler's eagle's nest at Berchtesgaden in Austria. And, and it, it's the story of these men and their campaigns and their fighting. And it's just a fascinating story. And in that, you see the bond that develops between these, these men, this band of brothers, even where the, the title of the book, the title of the movie comes from, is, is because of the bond that forms between these men who serve together. And, and in some ways, that's the best way that I know to describe the bond that we share as the people of God. That bond of kinship that, should, that soldiers share because they shoulder one another's burdens, because they serve together on the front lines, is much like the bond that, that forms between the people of God through the Holy Spirit that we share. As we are committed to Christ, as we're committed to the church, and ultimately committed to one another, each other, inside the church. The New Testament has a lot to say about this. The New Testament tells us over 50 times In fact, 58 times by my count that the New Testament gives us specific instructions on how we are to treat or relate to one another. And I like to call these the one another's because in each of these instances that we study in the New Testament, we find that phrase one another. We don't have time today to go through uh, 58 different instances in the New Testament where where the New Testament is writing to us. But I have picked 10 of these this morning. And I want us to look at these 10 instances of what the New Testament instructs us to to do, how we're to love and serve one another. And that doing so becomes a reflection of the love that we have in Christ and the love that we have for each other as his body. Church members mature. We grow in the body. We grow closer to Christ and closer to each other through our obedience to these one another's. Even as we see in Romans chapter 12, Verse 5 that says that we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so let's look together today at these, again, I'm going to call them one another's. Let's look at these one another's and, and ways that we, are to, that, w- that we are to interact with and treat one another in the body of Christ. The first one is to love one another. Love one another. The New Testament tells us again and again that we are to love one another. Here's an example. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This command is found 17 times in the New Testament. To love one another, the command. 17 times throughout the New Testament we're told to love one another one another in various forms. We see it again and again because it's foundational. And in fact, you could say in many ways that the rest of these one another's that we're going to look at, and and really, truly, all of the one another's, because there's many that we won't even look at today, really are built on this foundation of love. That is the people of God, we are to love one another. It's foundational. And all the other commands are are built on that. The second command that I want us to look at, the second one another, if you will, is to serve one another. We would serve one another. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Notice what it says in, in this verse. That we don't have to serve one another. We get to serve one another. We're not to use our freedom as an opportunity to serve the flesh, but to serve one another in love. And so we love each other, that's foundational, and we serve each other. We serve one another. And in doing this, we reflect the gospel to each other. The third one another is to encourage one another. Encourage one another. 
First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Encouraging one another, building one another up. These things go hand in hand. They, they, they really work together. In, in a time when our culture is so divided, what our world needs is a united church. What our world needs is a church that will love each other and serve each other and encourage each other. I think this is so important, especially as I've, as I've said, in light of all that we've been through in the last nine months with COVID-19 and all that, that even that we're in right now, in, in the midst of, even at this moment, it's important that we would encourage one another. The fourth one another is that we would teach and admonish one another, as we see in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Teach and admonish one another. Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I think it's, I think it's important that we see, even in this verse, that the things that we do, the songs we sing, the lessons we teach, the curriculum that we study, all of these things play an important role in, in building up the body as we teach and admonish one another. What it means to admonish is just simply that we would, that we would push each other to do the thing that we, that we have been taught. And so we're to teach the truth and we're, to, and we're to admonish one another to live out the truth in order that the world may see Christ in us. It's imperative when we think about teaching and admonishing as well that we center on the Word of God. We understand that we're to, we're to teach the Word of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 points us to the power of the Word of God. It says that... All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The word of God has the power to not only to instruct us, but to, but to shape our lives. And so we want, when we gather together, we want to teach the word of God to one another. We want to admonish each other to know and do what the word of God says. We're also to pray for one another. That's our fifth one another. We're to pray for one another. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your sins to one another. That's another one that we didn't even hit, by the way. But and then it goes on to say, Pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. There's tremendous power in prayer. Not so much because of the one who's praying, but because of the one that we're praying to. Because we understand that the God that we pray to has all power and can do anything that we ask of him. And so we go to him in faith and we believe that when we, when we pray to God, he hears our prayers and he has power to, to answer our prayers. So we humble ourselves before him and we seek his power unleashed in our lives. As we pray to God, as we pray for each other, we pray for one another. The sixth one another is to be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Be kind to one another. Ephesians 4.32, you, if you grew up in the church, you learned this in Sunday school as a child. But I want to I tell you, we don't really ever outgrow this instruction. Be kind to one another, it says. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Not only is kindness the fruit of the Spirit, but here clearly the Scripture commands us to be kind to one another. Recognizing... That Christ was kind toward us. And so because the kindness of Christ has been demonstrated toward us, we ought to be kind to each other. Be kind to one another. 
our seventh one another. And I, don't, I know I'm moving through the list fast. It's because I want us to see these as a collective, okay? The seventh one another is forgive one another. Forgive one another. Colossians 3.13. We read, bearing with one another, and if anyone is a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Much like the command to be kind to one another, We're to forgive one another in light of Christ's forgiveness of our sin. Not on the merits of the person who's wronged you. You understand that, right? You don't forgive someone else because they have earned your forgiveness. You don't forgive someone else because they deserve your forgiveness. You forgive them because Christ forgave you. Just as he forgave you when you had not earned nor did you deserve his forgiveness. We're to forgive one another. The eighth one another is to welcome one another. Welcome one another. Romans 15, 7. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, you may think, now this one seems a little bit different. This one seems a little bit out of place with the rest of these one another's to welcome each other. So we're to stand at the door. Well, yes, maybe, perhaps. This isn't just about greeting each other, although there are actually some of the one another's that talk specifically about greeting one another. We're to welcome one another, which means we're to have a heart for hospitality. We're to make each other welcome. We're to go out of our way to meet needs for each other. We're to go out of our way to, as we serve one another, to do it in this spirit of hospitality, that we're to share our time and our resources in order to make each other welcome, in order to make a space, a place for each other in the body of Christ. We're not to be jealous of each other but accommodating toward one another as we welcome one another and as we cheer each other, each other on, encourage one another. The ninth one another is to bear one another's burdens. We're to bear one another's burdens. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We bear one another's burdens by humbling ourselves according to, again, the example set by Christ for us, Philippians chapter 2, one of my very favorite passages of Scripture, tells us this. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, we read, Let each of you look out not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This same Jesus that we're celebrating in this Christmas season, who came in the form of a child, grew up to be a man. And as a man, he served others, but he, but he humbled himself willingly and served our greatest need, we read here, even by going to the cross for our sin. We bear each other's burdens when we humble ourselves when we willingly put others first, when we, when we make our rights or our wants or our desires take a back seat to what is good for the body, what's good for others, and, and so we pray for one another. We do these other things. We encourage, we welcome, we serve, we love. All of those things are part of bearing one another's burdens. We, we help carry each other in those moments because we all need to be carried. And then finally, our tenth one another is this. We live in harmony with one another. We live in harmony with one another. 
Romans 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lonely. Harmony is not about unofficial happiness, right? We all know what it's like to have, to have uh, fake peace. Harmony is not fake peace. It's purposeful peace. It's, it's when, we, when we understand that so much has been given to us, so much has been afforded to us, and so we willingly serve others. We willingly, we willingly forgive others. We willingly love and, and encourage and teach and admonish and welcome and pray for one another. Do you see Do you see that? It's about preserving peace and unity in the body of Christ. Think about this list. Love one another. Serve one another. Encourage one another. Teach and admonish one another. Pray for one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Welcome one another. Bear one another's burdens. Live in harmony with one another. Notice that each of these one another commands transcends any kind of a cultural situation or setting. Right? doesn't matter really where you live in the world. It doesn't matter uh, how much technology you have. It doesn't matter how much money you have. You don't need any of those things to, to fulfill these commands. It's not bound by race, by, by uh, language, by location, by time. We can all, in the body of Christ, we can all love one another, serve, encourage, teach, and admonish. And so on. We can fulfill the one another's. Not only that, notice that these one another's are not limited to a particular group of people. In each of these passages that we read, you can go back and you can study the broader context. And, and what's being written is to the body of Christ, not to pastors, not to deacons, not to Sunday school teachers, not to, uh, not, not, not to youth workers. This, this is for the entire body of Christ. For all of us as the people of God, the one another's are written to every member. And and so we might rightly understand it this way, that the one another's are for the church. These are commands that are given to the church. And when we really study them, what we begin to understand is that these one another's require that a local body be committed to Christ and committed to one another. In other words, the one another's plead the case for church membership. You want to know where where does the Bible talk about church membership, it talks about what it means to be a member of the church in each and every place that it gives us one of these commands for one another. In moments of crisis, these one another, perhaps they rise to the surface more brightly or more more obviously than in any other time. I've seen this be especially true here in First Baptist Church. I am about two months shy of my 10th anniversary as your pastor, coming up on, on 10 years very soon. And in 10 years of, of leading you and shepherding you and serving this church, I have seen you love one another, serve one another, encourage one another, teach and admonish one another, pray for one another. I've seen your kindness to one another. I've seen you forgive one another, welcome one another, carry each other's burdens. I've seen you live in harmony with each other. I've watched you raise families together cook meals for one another. I've watched you clean each other's homes, take trips together, pay each other's bills, sit by each other's bedside, drive each other to appointments, mow yards, check on parents, fix cars, cheer from the sidelines at ball games, help each other move. I could go on and on of the ways that I've witnessed this church, the people of this church, live out the one another's for each other. Jesus said in Matthew that the gates of hell would not stand against his church. And I believe it because I've seen it lived out. 
in the lives of the people of First Baptist Church. We're a group of people that laugh with one another, who look after one another, who lean on each other. I'm telling you, this is the church. This is what the church is called to be. And if you don't have a church, then you're missing something huge in your life. You need a place where you can live out the one another's. When I, when I think about this, I, I, could, I could name literally example after example after example, but perhaps one of the most recent was the cleanup from the ice storm that happened a few weeks ago. About a month ago, we all know that ice uh, came and, and did damage to trees and, and power lines and, and so many other things. And I watched the people of this church spring into action and we would get phone calls and we would try to help coordinate a, a little bit. And, and time after time, I mean, in case by case, I learned that, well, so-and-so has a need. Well, I would call up uh, our, our deacon leaders and I would say, well, I heard about this need. And they would say, oh, we got that one already. We did that one this morning. And then I'd call the next day. Well, I heard about so-and-so. Yeah, uh, I'm going to drive by there this afternoon. I'd get a text later. We got them. We took care of it. We, and, and I've just seen this kind of thing happen again and again and again in the life of this church where the people serve each other. Last Sunday, we had our, uh, our, our annual Thanksgiving meal. And because of COVID, we did it a little bit differently this year. And because of COVID, we didn't have as many people come as might normally come. But there were people lining up at 4.30, getting to-go boxes and taking it out and delivering it to people in our church. In fact, I got a, I got a, a, a count from, from Dennis the, the next day or the day or so after that he literally said, we, we fed as many people in person as we gave out to-go meals. We, we sent just as many out as what we fed last Sunday night. And that's just an example of the way that the people in this church love and serve one another. And that's what the body of Christ is supposed to be. Do you get it? That's what the one another's are all about. That we show the love of Christ in the way that we live with one another. A church that practices the one another's prioritizes obedience to the command of Christ. Jesus himself is the one who said, love one another. In John chapter 13 and 14, he tells us to love one another. In John chapter 14, he even goes so far as to say, and if you love me, you'll obey my commands. So not only did he tell us to love each other, but then he said, and if you want to show that you love me, you'll do the things that I've told you to do, like love each other. A church that practices the one another's will reach the lost. We read in Acts chapter 2, verse 47, that because the church was committed to one another, that they gained favor with people and daily their number was being added to. They found favor in the eyes of people because they took the truth of God seriously. They lived it out with one another. A church that practices the one another's builds toward the future. In Ephesians Chapter 4, verse 16, as we studied last week, I even mentioned it earlier. We see that a church that does its part, that it builds itself up in love. We build each other up. We build toward the future. We build the body. If we take these one another seriously, a church that practices the one another's champions church membership. Because as we saw in Romans 12, 5, we are members of one another. This is what it means to be the body of of Christ. And so I want to remind you what we've looked at that a commitment to Christ is a commitment to his church. And as badly as I want you to be connected to this church, I want you to be connected all the more to Jesus. 
I want you to know him by faith. I want you to acknowledge your sin, believe in his power to forgive your sin. I want to see you come to faith in Christ. But I know this to be true, that everyone who comes to faith in Jesus is also called to be a part of his body, the church. We want to be a church where you can connect, where you can love others, where you can serve others, where you can live out your faith with a group of people. I also want to remind you that a commitment to Christ is a commitment to his mission. When you commit to follow Christ, you're committing to be a part of his mission, to reflect the gospel, to advance the gospel, so that the world might see Jesus lived out in us, his people, the body of Christ. And finally, let me remind you that a commitment to the church is also a commitment to the people of the church. It's a commitment to one another. We live out our faith as we are obedient to the commands of Christ given toward one another. In a moment, we're going to move into a time of reflection, a time of invitation. And as we have this time of invitation today, I want to challenge you in this way. That if you don't have a church home, if you don't have a place where you are connected, where you can live out these commands, these one another's, in a group of people, in the context of a body of believers, I want to encourage you to pray about membership here at First Baptist Church. Now, as much as my heart desires to see everyone join First Baptist Church, I understand that not everyone is called to be a part of this church, but you're called to be a part of a church. And if you don't have a church home, you don't have a place to live out these one another's. And I want to encourage you today that you would allow God to direct your heart to a place where you can be united with, connected to a body of people, a place where you can live out the one another's with other people. Of course, I admit freely my bias, but I don't think there's a better place to do that than First Baptist Church of Chickasha. But not only do I want to see you be connected to the church, even more so, I desperately want to see you be connected to Christ. I desperately want to see you come to a saving knowledge of Jesus as you trust him as Lord and Savior. And today, if you're here and there's never been a moment in your life when you've trusted Jesus by faith, And I would plead with you today that you would make this the day that you surrender your heart and your life to him. Make this the day you know Christ by faith, that you you acknowledge your sin before him. You believe in his saving power to forgive you and to cleanse you of your sin. You confess him as Lord and Savior. If that's you, then I want to challenge you to come forward during our invitation song and take one of our staff by the hand. Let us walk you through a prayer of commitment as you dedicate your life to Christ. However God is speaking to you, however he's stirring and moving in your heart today, I challenge you to respond in obedience to him during our time of invitation. Would you join me now as we pray and we prepare our hearts to respond in obedience to him? God, we are so grateful that we can know you by faith. We can be forgiven of our sins and set free from the bondage to ourselves that we might live in the freedom that you've given. And we might use that freedom as the opportunity to serve one another. Help us as we live out our faith to live it in a way that, that's for the good of the body, but ultimately for your glory, Jesus. As we surrender our lives to you, as we submit to your lordship in every area of our lives. Lord, if anyone here today doesn't know you by faith, I pray that even now your spirit would be speaking to them, drawing them to salvation, that they might trust you by faith. And Lord, as we've trusted you by faith, may we also be united together, unified as a body, that we might live out our faith together 
encouraging each other to know and obey the word of God. So move in our midst today that we might honor you in all areas of our life, individually and certainly corporately together as your body, the church. We pray this in your name. Amen. So we stand to sing this song.